welcome to this special webinar brought to you by Singapore Institute of Management and NTUC and the Banking and Financial Services Union. Thank you for joining us on a Friday afternoon here in Singapore. I know you're all busy people, so you've dedicated this time to be with us today. I really appreciate that. Hopefully, it will be a good use of your time. I'm pretty sure that the panelists that we have here today will be sharing useful insights for you. We'll be sharing data and case studies. So stick around for the next 45 minutes to be part of this journey into smarter, better, faster, staying ahead in the new normal. That's what it's all about today, staying ahead in the new normal. So thanks for joining us. If this is your first time, welcome to the webinar. We will guide you through the next 45 minutes and show you how you can ask questions and interact with us. We'll also show you how you can get the PDF copy of this. Stick around to the end of the webinar. So if you are interested in the new normal, because everybody's talking about the new normal now, if you look at the data on the new normal, a lot of people are searching for the new normal. There it is. That is the Google Trends analysis of searches for the new normal, which has all happened really in the last two months. Before the new normal, we didn't talk about the new normal. So it's already happened. It's all been thrust upon us. And I guess a lot of us have been caught by surprise. Obviously, what's happened with the pandemic has really changed a lot of the way we think about how we've been doing things. But it also makes us question how we're going to do things moving forward. And that is really the journey we are on today. So thank you very much for joining us on this journey. My name is Graham Brown. I am a founder of Pickle & Co. And we are a podcast and webinar agency. This is what we do for a living. And to help you address the challenge of what we're going to talk about today in the new normal, I have put together a panel of esteemed colleagues, smarter, better, faster. These are the smartest, the best, and the fastest that we could find out there in the industry to help us stay ahead in the new normal. I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves very shortly, but I'll do a quick Round Robin, and then we are going to introduce them formally very shortly. We've got Patrick Tay from NTUC, Dr. Kevin Young from SIM, and Jamie Lim from PeopleSearch. All will be joining us and guiding us through this journey into the new normal. And today really is for corporate leaders from the world of strategy and HR, employment practices, and you know many different aspects of business. Everything from technology to employment practices we will talk about today. And for yourselves, as this is your first time in a webinar, let me show you. At the bottom of the screen, there is a chat icon. You find it there. Right down at the bottom, there's a chat icon. What I want you to do is just say hello in there. Just type it in just so we know that you are here today. Maybe some of the people that are joining us today are familiar. So if you've joined us before for one of the SIM webinars, welcome back. Thank you for sticking with us on this journey. Great to see everybody here on a Friday afternoon joining us on this webinar. Hello to you all. So you found the chat box. Well done, everybody. That is where you can ask questions throughout this webinar to the panelists. We will have a Q&A section at the end, but we'll also take questions throughout the webinar. So don't feel that you have to wait to the end if you've got a burning question. Feel free 
to drop your questions throughout the webinar because I'm sure my panelists are going to say something interesting today and you're going to be provoked to say something interesting back or ask a question. So feel free to do that. And if it's relevant to the conversation at that point, what I'll do is I'll field those questions as and when we move along. Stick around to the end of the webinar. So you don't have to furiously make notes today. You can get the PDF at the end. We'll give you all the details, all the case studies, all the data that will be shared today. So maybe let's ask why we're here. Start with the problem. What is the problem that we are faced with, the challenge that we are faced with today? I'm going to flash up a few items from the news which are relevant to the subject of conversation today. And then I'm going to turn it over to our panelists just to ask them what is keeping them busy in the last week. So let me run through some of these news headlines. Singapore must master global trends, speed up transformation for stronger economy post-COVID, says DPM Heng. Moving on, Singapore embarks on epic challenge. Epic, once in a generation to help job seekers. And from the Straits Times, a call to train older ICT professionals in soft skills. And lastly, interestingly, Data analytics, digital marketing, and interpersonal skills, top skills Singapore employers look for in 2020, all skills that probably didn't exist 10 years ago. They certainly didn't exist when I was at university, which was, I confess, a lot more than 10 years ago. Joined today to help us unpack the challenges, Patrick Tay, Dr. Kevin Yong, and Jamie Lim. Patrick, over to you first, just very top level. Welcome to the show first, and tell us what's keeping you busy in the last week in conversations related to skills and the economy. Yeah, I think amidst the very uncertain global as well as the local outlook, I think, uh, in fact, the past uh, couple of months, not just last week, I think one key issue is uh, working very closely with our unionized companies as well as our union leaders and unions and, of course, uh, our tripartite partners in uh, managing uh, the various uh, business circumstances or conditions in various sectors. Because I think we are seeing this, uh, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic affecting almost every sector. So I think what's keeping me uh, awake at night is uh, helping many of these companies and workers uh, so that uh, we can find ways to cut costs to save jobs. Yeah, we were chatting off air as well, and you were saying about the emotional aspect. If you could read the emotional pulse of Singapore at the moment. It was interesting what you were saying. There's an understanding there of how people are feeling right now. How would you describe some of the emotions facing the Singaporean workforce? I think, uh, you know, if, if there's one word to, uh, to describe the general emotion on the ground, I think there's a lot of anxiety. Of course, some uh, even uh, top tipping the scale to fear. Uh, because of the uncertainties and of course, uh, you know, different companies are taking different causes of action uh, in trying to manage the downturn as of, and of course also managing excess manpower and the various border controls and uh, the pandemic itself and of course the last two months of circuit breaker which many businesses had to contend with. There's so much unknown, isn't it? That's really what's causing the anxiety. So hopefully today we can help with a roadmap moving forward and relieve some of the anxiety on the ground both for employers and employees. So looking forward to hearing what's available in terms of options, your best practices, as well as some of the data as well. So we're going to dive into that shortly. And Patrick is going to take us on a journey into some of the macro trends as well. Jamie, welcome to the webinar. You deal with people who I guess are 
changing careers, changing jobs all the time in, in the business of people search. What are you seeing on the ground at the moment? And what sort of conversations are you having in the last couple of weeks? Um, in the last couple of weeks, there are many, many conversations, whether they are with employers. So also brainstorming, having deep conversations on how we can pivot with, with what I call a VOCA world now. Everything is volatile. Everything is uncertain. Um, and also sharing best practices that I know how uh, with various individuals and cross-referencing and helping organizations to see what is best and for the employees and the workforce. And of course, with candidates um, who are then um, looking for a role still, I have to say uh, there are a group of people who are still actively on their lookout and who are still adverse, risk adverse, and they're still open up to career opportunities. There are some level of uh, employment still happening. Of course, at large, it seems like um, all bad news, but uh, I have to say that uh, I'm rather encouraged in, in my everyday life to still be able to put people on jobs, even though they are much lesser now. So, of course, these are pockets of uh, opportunities in various uh, sectors. Of course, it's not as, as vibrant as it is, as it is um, during this time, but hiring is still happening. Yes. Interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to learning about the different speeds of hiring there and who's sort of winning and who's losing as well. Because as you say, there are positives as well. So I think we need to kind of learn about that, both from the aspect of the candidate and also the recruiters as well, the employers. So there's a lot to learn. So we're going to learn about that in the next 40 minutes. That's Jamie Lim coming up. And lastly, Dr. Kevin, welcome. So where are, where are we at this stage in your conversations? Obviously, you're uh, involved in reskilling workforces and training people for an uncertain future what kind of conversations are coming up with you both with the people who want to learn and also employers hi graham and thanks for that uh, for me two things two two key issues keep popping into my head and i keep thinking about first of all i think there's a fundamental information asymmetry about the job market the idea here is that yes there are a lot of people losing jobs but at the same time there are a lot of jobs available and so there's, there's a fundamental mismatch there. And, and I think part of the reason is uh, I don't know. The reason why I can't get a job is in part because I don't know what's out there. I don't know what fits me. So that brings me to the, the second issue that we're working on SIM. How, how do we do that? And then we take a, what we refer to as a demand-driven approach. We think about what's, what's happening in the market. We're, we're, we're working hard to understand what's available, what kind of skills are needed for these jobs. And then we try to match the, those who have so-called been displaced because for whatever reason and, and fit them to those jobs. Now, I'll, I'll be cheeky here a little bit and say, as the more I think about this, I almost want to say reskilling and upskilling is the wrong term to use. Uh, and I'm going to borrow a term from uh, advanced manufacturing that I've been working on, uh, the advanced manufacturing sector. That we were, I think we should think about it as additive manufacturing, uh, additive skilling, not, not reskilling. Reskilling connotates that my current skills are irrelevant and, and, and therefore I'm not, I'm not employable. What we've come to realize is that even if you're, uh, everybody, you don't need to be reskilled completely. Uh, 80, 90% of your, there must be a recognition of prior experience, recognition of prior skills. What I need to do is to help you add to those skills that you already have that are valuable, add more skills to you, and therefore you are right fit for the job. So I'm trying to figure that out. And, and more importantly, I'm trying to, we're, at SIM, we're trying to figure out at scale. 
And we're trying to figure out how we do this across every industry, not just manufacturing. We're looking at logistics. We're looking at wholesale trade. We're looking at ICT. We're looking at finance. Uh, and, and that's, that's, that's the, the problem we're trying to solve. I like it. Additive skilling. Well, I'm sure we're going to learn more about that today. And I think that's a theme that's going to come up in different guises and manifestations today. Let's ask the audience first, what's keeping them up? Thank you, panel, for sharing your insights and setting the tone for today, where we're going to go with today's webinar. Let's ask the audience. We've got a poll coming up. And what's going to happen is the poll's going to come up and the audience gets to vote. The panel don't get to vote. They only get to comment on what the audience are voting on. What are the big challenges facing corporate leaders today? As a leader, which of these challenges keep you up at night? Let me read them out. Take a look and vote how to upskill older employees. We should say additive skilling rather than an upskill here, I guess now. Flexible working arrangements, new hiring practices, understanding the impact of AI and data, economic outlook for the next six months as the votes are coming in now. Maybe we can get some commentary. Well, it looks like economic outlook for the next six months is the winning horse so far. Looks like it's way out. And that is obviously something that is on people's minds and keeping them up at night, which is great because that is a good segue into our next section. Patrick is going to help us understand the macros of where we are. We've got a few more votes coming in. Let's just finish up now on the Outlook, poll in progress, economic outlook for the next six months, 61% of the votes by clear. Nobody's worried about new hiring practices, it seems. Upskilling older employees and the impact of AI and data come in second. So by a clear mile, the economic outlook for the next six months is bothering people. Patrick, it's great that you're going to take on this next section because this is your domain. Help us understand the macros. Where are we now? Because a lot of people have been focusing on COVID the last three months. Now we've got to think about the economy. Take us through it. What do we need to know? And what are your thoughts on where we're going from here? You know, what I'm, I'm feeling is actually you know, corroborates uh, what that earlier poll result came out, uh, economic outlook and uncertainties, which is what exactly I'm seeing very much on the ground. Having met many workers uh, even uh, you know, fellow Singaporeans, I think there's a general fear and anxiety over the outlook. So that, that is uh, absolutely correct. I think let me let me take everyone through uh, what's happened in the last uh, five months, and uh, what I foresee will happen in the months ahead, next three to six months ahead. Uh, if you look at uh, the latest labor market first quarter results uh, issued by the Ministry of Manpower, something like three weeks ago, uh, that was the first quarter, meaning from first of January to thirty first of March. Unemployment has crept up a bit, uh, in particular also for um, the local workforce. Uh, retrenchment numbers have gone up uh, as well uh, compared to the previous quarter. And I think the overall employment growth has also kind of stunted uh, in some ways. Um, but the interesting thing is the first three months, I don't think, I personally don't think it's a good reflection of what we're going to expect to see um, in the second quarter as well as the rest of the year. Why do I say that? Uh, if you look at the first quarter's um, Ministry of Manpower results in terms of unemployment, retrenchments, if you compare it with uh, the same quarter uh, during the SARS uh, outbreak in 2003 at a global financial crisis in 2008 and early 2009, 
um, you know, the numbers are way, 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 way far away, i.e. much lesser, uh, much smaller uh, as compared to the magnitude we saw in SARS as well as the global financial crisis. So uh, what I'm uh, coming to, my point is, I think, coupled with the fact that uh, we had two months of circuit breaker and the various measures imposed globally, as well as locally in terms of borders, in terms of exchange of goods and services, uh, in terms of many countries looking very inward, uh, fueling more the internal economy, having more protectionist kind of point of views. Uh, you know, we, 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 do, we will expect uh, definitely in the second quarter results, not out yet, but I do see the second quarter results picking up uh, in terms of unemployment and retrenchments, uh, definitely. So we shall see those figures in the coming weeks ahead, the advanced figures first and then the actual figures. Um, but however, uh, being involved in, uh, in the labor movement and involved in many of these collective uh, bargaining uh, negotiations, as well as uh, working very closely on tripartite partners in the last couple of months and issuing the various tripartite advisories to manage salary, leave, excess manpower, retrenchments, payment of retrenchment benefits. Uh, what And also four rounds of budget. Uh, mind you, is not one. It's not two, it's actually four rounds of uh, budget, unprecedented, uh, like they say, it's unprecedented budgets uh, for an unprecedented crisis. Uh, so what we are seeing is a uh, government putting in almost a hundred billion dollars, uh, no small amount. Uh, we even have to dig into coffers to, to fork that out. And then we do see, definitely, I, mean, I can dare say for at least for the United companies in the, in the last couple of months, holding the line and uh, trying to, you know, cut costs to save jobs, meaning latch on into uh, and, and tap on to the various uh, job support schemes, uh, as well as training schemes, which come with funding and absentee payroll to, to kind of like segue their workers to alternative uh, arrangements. Uh, it could be, you know, uh, flexible, uh, enforcing on a flexible wage system, um, no pay leave, uh, uh, and of course, training, sending them for training. And even some companies, uh, for example, like, uh, you know, you have Singapore Airlines, a lot of the cabin crew, uh, including many of our local airlines, uh, you see some of them now at your bus interchanges and uh, MRT stops, uh, becoming transport ambassadors, and even in the hospitals, uh, being uh, hospital healthcare ambassadors. And of course, uh, you know a few big sectors that those that involve travel, tourism, aviation, aerospace, and hospitality have been quite severely affected. And some of them taking on many of the part-time uh, contract roles um, because of the safe measures, safe entry measures. So what we are seeing in the past five months is, uh, I don't think the full blown figures of uh, the impact has been felt yet. So I think it's important to see what's going to happen in the second quarter and in the months ahead. Uh, why do I say that? I think if you look at the job support scheme, which the government has fleshed out, it actually ends on 31st of August. So what we have is a situation where many companies will have to review. And I'm, I, you know, I, I see many uh, companies in the thick of the action trying to review their strategies, their key performance indicators, their key focus, as well as a reorganization uh, and a re-strategization to, to, to really look at how to navigate the new normal, uh, or sometimes I call it the next normal, uh, amidst all this uh, that's happening and all these new advisories and measures that are imposed on companies, businesses, whether local or abroad. So I think moving ahead, uh, we need to watch those figures extremely closely. Uh, month on month, week on week, uh, and quarter on quarter as well, uh, because I I do see uh, uh you know companies may end up having to take certain causes of action. Uh, a simple proxy would be the number of companies and businesses that have uh, kind of declared, uh, or some some of these businessmen who have been declared bankrupt, 
as well as some of the companies that, that gone into insolvency in the last uh, uh, in the first half of this year. Quite uh, large numbers, I think, doubling uh, easily, uh, you know, month on month, quarter on quarter. So, so these this is uh, in, in a snapshot. What's the outlook like in the past couple of months? Uh, many companies holding the line, uh, but I do still see pockets of layoffs happening already. And uh, we definitely need to pay a close watch to labor market as well as economic figures in uh, month on month in the rest of this year. Excellent. Holding the line. I like the analogy as well. Because if we can hold the line, we can keep the economy moving as well. And that prevents the, you know, the, the concertina effect of layoffs that may happen when an economy slows down. Do you think that looking forward, things have been well managed until now we've we've weathered most of the storm until this point do you think there are particularly areas in the next six months that may be more exposed or need more attention you mentioned some sectors for example like tourism obviously do you think in the next six months we need to pay special attention to any particular sectors or maybe even groups within society as well moving forward and definitely because of the i think a few factors firstly border controls and air travel, uh, depending on how, uh, it's not going to be just depending on Singapore alone, but it depends on countries in the region and countries globally and internationally. So if the borders remains closed uh, to certain countries or to certain countries, uh, th- therefore the movements of uh, movement of people, uh, goods and services uh, will be you know curtailed. And it does affect because Singapore being a very re- country, very, very reliant on wholesale retail trade, uh, trade as well as investments, I think uh, it, it it pays uh, uh, you know to do a very close scrutiny on, on our position in that aspect, and of course uh, what we have is also the movement of foreign workers in and out of Singapore. As you know, there in Singapore is we call it the one third two third rule. Yeah, uh, one third are uh, foreign manpower. So uh, therefore, we, we are in, in a way uh, we may be uh, still quite reliant on foreign manpower. And but however, we have a situation where actually a lot of businesses are uh, not in terms of output, in terms of production, uh, it's still not back. It's not not business as usual yet. And uh, coupled with the fact that now you have a lot of uh, owners' obligations on ensuring safe workplaces, safe office premises, uh, safe, um, you know, uh, companies uh, for not just clients and as well as customers, but also for their own workers and employees. So I think, uh, I think many companies I know as we go on, particularly in Singapore, where we have a phase one, phase two, and hoping for the phase three to come soon, uh, there will be a series. There are actually a series of obligations and measures which companies have to embrace and adopt, and therefore uh, these uh, are, are things that uh, will will confound many of uh, our businesses and companies, particularly SMEs. Great. Well, thanks for setting the scene, Patrick, and giving us view from the macro level. Let's move this into the challenge of skills, and this now is the challenge that faces us as both corporate leaders and employees as well. Awakening the giant within, I think as one of the panelists labeled this section here, how do we reskill, upskill, uptool, retool, whatever it is that you choose, how do we do that? Because this is the challenge, isn't it? Because that I, I see you've seen the data. Singapore is often touted as a world leader when it comes to talent 
you know, there, there is an amazing uh, abundance of talent here, especially at the executive level. Um, you know, when it comes to international headquarters, they're here. There's a lot here. But the challenge is, is that, you know, how can that talent stay relevant? So really, I want to open this up now to maybe Kevin, you can help us understand here. I mean, if we have a look at this data, let's go to the next chart. This is the data analytics course searches on Google Trends. It just goes to show that you go back to 2012, people weren't searching for data analytics courses. Yet, if we go back to the original study, that was one of the number one skills that employers were looking for. All very well if you're at university now and you're very flexible and agile, you can choose your career path. But what do you do if you're 20 years as a corporate manager working for a bank, for example, and now they want to talk about data analytics how do we deal with this? You know, this isn't just data analytics. This is across the board. What is the challenge that is happening? It seems to be something affecting people who have the more, the more skill you are, the bigger the challenge. That the fact that you have experience may also hinder the fact that you can reskill. Is that a fact? What are you finding when you're talking to executives about reskilling, upskilling, or additive skilling? Well, first of all, I think the, the vast majority of the workforce actually has always known data analytics. They just don't know about it. I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm willing to bet, 90% of the people uh, who Google data analytics are in for a shock when they see what, what's uh, the first class. The reason I say that, how many of you in the audience has taken mathematics in your life? How many in university have done statistics? Oh, the, the one class we all hate is statistics. Um, and here's the really interesting thing. Data analytics is statistics. It's, it's rebranded to be really, really cool. Uh, and if you can do mathematics, one plus one equals two, you have the foundations of data analytics. Uh, and that's really what it is. Uh, and I think, I think so what, the two things I'm, I'm, ma I'm making a point here. Of, the first thing is, it's not as new as we all think. We're not really, a lot of us are not really learning a completely new skill. Yes, data analytics techniques have, are very advanced. If you think about artificial intelligence, machine learning, etc. cetera, uh, but the basics are always there, all right? Uh, what's a standard deviation? What's, how do you calculate a mean? Uh, what's considered good data? I mean, these, these are just good practices that uh, are coming back, right? So you can go back to that. So you, you're not, most people, in my opinion, are not starting from, from scratch. So, so that's the first thing. Um, uh, second thing is is learning this is, is not as difficult as it as it sounds. Uh, it, I think learning data analytics is like learning any new skill. You have to be patient with yourself. You got to keep doing it. Uh, you're gonna make mistakes. So what? Uh, and and uh, it'll, it'll come to you much sooner than you you expect. The whole point is get started on it and uh, and don't be too afraid of it. So data analytics is just statistics, but brought up into the 21st century. In Jamie, what about for yourself? I mean, you must be having to deal with employers who are saying to you, you know, for example, we need somebody with experience in data analytics. And then you have on the other side, somebody who may have experience in statistics for, or, you know, in what actually they were talking about for many, many years. And there's maybe a mismatch here. Is it semantics? Are you seeing, you know, maybe it's a misunderstanding of what actually these skills are? What's it like having to pair and match up both sides of the market here? Uh, having, having done this uh, for so many years, 20, 20 over years, um, good times, not so good times, there is still a mismatch. So um, 
I think it's not just a skill. So data seems to be a new thing. Maybe about three or five years ago, uh, even in people's search, we started a data team and it's apparent. Uh, it's something that it's not so much Asia focus. And when you, you're right to say, Graham, it's, 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 it's a, a challenge for us because uh, clients come to us and say, okay, I want this, 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 this. And they expect uh, everything to be there. It's like going to a restaurant and this is the menu and, and it's anticipated dish uh, on your table. But the fact is that there may not be that kind of talent. Uh, we would like to think there is, but there isn't. So uh, again, it's about managing expectations, um, which, which I want to boil down to uh, come, come back to not just upscaling and rescaling, um, is that we need to change really quick. And we couldn't um, really predict what are the jobs out there, what are the expectations sometimes about employers, even as a recruiter, because it keeps changing. It mirrors the economic changes. It mirrors the demand of the market. I, I think the challenge here for every individual here is to have that mentality and the mindset to say that I want to learn a new skill. Like what uh, Kevin said, additive. We, I want to learn a new skill. But before we could even get started, then we have to ask this question, why are we not starting? Um, so the fundamental is why are we not starting? Because that is something that we can control. Um, and if we get started, then we will have the additive skills. We will stay competitive in the market. We'll be very aware of what's happening. We will start reading. We will start interacting. We will start having meaningful conversations with our employers even to, to, to approach them and say, look, I think I need a new set of skill sets. What do you think uh, is the company hating? What direction? Where do you think is the possible gaps that that my manager will be hating? And then I go and look out for these skills and quickly pick them up and and because kind of no choice, because I need to go through this, uh, it, it will give me the acceleration to go find skills future, whatever is up there, data analytics and all that to equip myself. So again, I want to stress, I, I know I use the word VUCA, but what exactly, how do we treat this? I, I think importantly, it's about agility, agility in, in action, which is exactly what Kevin said, get started. The longer we stay, um, the longer we procrastinate, the slower we become. And by then, it will be another change. Sorry, I just wanted to add to Graham. I'm just going to add Jamie's point because you brought up two things that uh, I'm familiar with. First of all, go take any artificial intelligence uh, class. And the first thing they will tell you is that don't even try to learn everything there is. There's just too much. So no matter how much of an expert you are, you're never going to learn everything. But you can start with the basics and you, you, and you, 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 you craft out your, your, your specialization. But I also want to bring up another point about, uh, back to my point about information asymmetry. It's really interesting, Jamie, for you to, to, to say a lot of your clients say, oh, we want to find data scientists. Actually, I can help you find the data scientists. I know where they are. There's a whole bunch of them in Singapore who are really, really good in data science. Here's, here's the real funny part. They don't even know that they are data scientists. They don't. They were taking they a job before that. It was not named data scientist. No, they're 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 given their governments. Their government. I I give. I can give you one simple example of someone I myself have done and turned him in from uh, from uh, uh, he was a bio biology researcher. Yeah, or a statistician. Yeah, no, he was a bio, yeah, he's a biology. Then then because he's got a PhD, and you you ask him, so what do you do on a database? Oh yeah, we run numbers, we crunch analysis, we we run statistics, we blah 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 blah. I say that's data science. Yes. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and, and 
Yes. Always, and all, all we needed to do was put this person through a, a executive program in business. Uh, he picked up a few basic business skills. Next thing you know, a big corporation that we worked with, very uh, that sells yogurt and and, and milk, mm. hired this guy. Mm. All right, and and he, he's like a strategist now, mm. and he's never could be happier. Uh, and and he told me there's a whole bunch of people like him who yes. are looking out and saying, "Wow, there's all these data science jobs that we could do." But the one question that they're asking is like, "How do I?" get that job. I don't even know, begin to know yes. where to apply. Of course, they won't even say, it doesn't even occur to them to call an agency like People Search or something, right? They just, yes. what do I do? You know? Can t- after uh, today, they know. <laughs> well, they, uh, Patrick, how can we help here? Like, let's, let's put some of the options out here because it sounds like it's really just an imperfect market. The people are out there. We just got to help them join the dots here. It sounds like the people have the skills and additive means that or maybe you don't have them in the modern branding of that skill. What are we doing? How do we do it? What do we do to help? And what can we do? Yeah, they're, they're, I think just to you know uh, jump on in and corroborate uh, what was shared earlier. As in fact, this is, there, there is, uh, I think even Ministry of Manpower admits that there's actually a structural mismatch of jobs and skills. So this is not a new problem. This is uh, sometimes a problem in many developed countries, including in Singapore. In fact, uh, a couple of years back, we started talking about this when uh, unemployment rates were, at, you know, really low, uh, in the low two percent, uh, and 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 we were talking, why is there still two point three, two point four, two point five percent, and citizenry unemployment at three percent? How come, you know, we have created so many jobs? Our economic development board have brought so many investments. We have so many jobs, 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 and uh, and then there are frustrated people as well because they say, oh, I undergo training, but I don't land myself in a job. So, so that's um, this structural mismatch uh, will be, I would say, I, I dare say, uh, will be the cause of uh, a lot of challenges for Singapore and will contribute to the unemployment problem in Singapore. I think the bulk of the unemployment in Singapore, I would say it will, is contributed by this structural mismatch, i.e. we have lots of jobs. Um, we hear of jobs here and there, but we don't have the people with the relevant skills and experience to take on these jobs. So I think it's not just a to yesterday's problem, but it's going to be a problem today and as well as for many years to come, particularly for Singapore. I mean, we have people trained in different areas, people with different passions and interests, and of course, a different demands because the kind of businesses that we bring in and the kind of areas and sectors and industries we are developing may, may not. But, but uh, all said and done, I, I must say there are a few uh, major interventions which I've seen in the last couple of years and uh, with the skills future, with the industry transformation maps, so what, even in the labor movement, I was heading um, the future job skills and training uh, unit where we try to uh, sort of sense where the new jobs are. So actually one of the key things from the industry transformation map and the future economy uh, committee and council's uh, uh, remit was to look at, to, to, to so signal to Singaporeans and workers in Singapore where the openings are, uh, not just signaling Singaporeans, but also signaling to many of the institutions of higher learning and of course, the various vocational training institutes to say, you know, uh, you know, this sector manufacturing has XX number of jobs, modern services has XX number of jobs. So please, can you steer uh, uh, people to these areas? Yeah, so, so that's one thing that uh, there's a lot of coordinated effort at the national level and a tripartite level, sector by sector across 23 different sectors, and industries and clusters. So that's one thing I would say yeah, we have done correctly. Uh, secondly, of course, uh, there's a, there's a big drive towards continuous education and training. Because in Singapore, you don't just have a, a, a skill, structural and problem problem 
We have other issues. We have an aging population. At the same time, we have a very low fertility rate, 1.14. So we are burning the candles at both ends. Here we are, we have lesser people coming into the workforce. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, at some point in time, we may go into negative. And the other end, we have people leaving the workforce. That's why we are raising the retirement age and re-employment age to keep the workforce uh, you know, at a sustainable level. So we have uh, various exacting forces unique to Singapore. Uh, you know, some countries in ASEAN may not have that problem, like in Vietnam, where the average age of a worker could be uh, in the late 20s, early 30s. So we, we have that challenge, uh, and therefore it exacerbates the whole, uh, you know, situation and conditions. But I think what we have done uh, in, in the last couple of years, now that we have worked out the industry transformation maps, signaling where the, 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 the jobs are, is to, to start shooting, uh, let's use the word shooting, you know, uh, getting people upskilled. Uh, so you hear lots of support. In fact, I would say uh, one of the most generous support uh, in any part of the globe in terms of skills upgrading, uh, in terms of professional conversion. And now you, you have heard of the recent, uh, you know, after four hours of budget, the SG United Traineeships Program. And I'm glad to know that uh, quite a number of host companies are coming on board there. In fact, yesterday I was just, I met a young person uh, during one of my uh, visits and, and uh, she shared, uh, she had two traineeship offers, uh, one for the financial institution, another one from a, a local SME, but looking at a risk management function. So I'm glad, um, you know, what we are hearing from the budgets as well as what you're hearing nationally uh, is taking root and, and, uh, and, and starting to get acceptance and of course buying in, of course, uh, more people uh, being aware and interested. So I think it, it boils down to the earlier point which uh, cabinet raised about information asymmetry. I think the challenge now is uh, we know we know where the jobs are. We know we provide all the support for the skills, the funding, and and uh, even uh, for not just uh, new entrants but for mid-career workers as well. So I think the challenge is uh, how then uh, can we provide this information to get information across to those who are eagerly looking at either changing industries, moving into adjacent industry, or maybe start even a, a new new job and, and enter in a new sector altogether. Fantastic. Well, I guess that's the purpose of this webinar is to let people know that it exists as well and to put it out there and who it's available to. So ready to start that conversation. I want to throw in a more complicated challenge to you all as a panel, which we've talked about, you know, the creating fluidity in the market, for example, like the traineeships as an example, or providing information because that addresses the information asymmetry that Kevin has talked about in the market. And I guess it's something that, Jamie, you experience at the coalface, if you like, of the market change on a day-to-day -day basis. So you experience that. Now we're trying to take that data and make it available to everybody so they understand, you know, where are the pockets in the market? Where, is it need, where does it need to be evened out? Let's sort of bring it forward a little bit. And this is probably a more complicated challenge because it sort of reflects back on some of the issues that have already been raised. Let's talk about artificial intelligence, automation, because especially in a successful economy like Singapore, especially where you have highly skilled individuals and you have a tech component as well. I want to share a story with you and ask for your thoughts on this and what it means to us, because it's probably a harbinger of what comes next. BioMind are a local Singaporean-backed startup from the world of medtech, one of the, you know, the high-end startups that come out of Singapore and can compete you know, on the, on the global level with Chinese startups in deep tech. So BioMind 
provide neuroimaging scans. So if you are top of your game in medicine, an oncologist, for example, consultant, you would spend most of your time looking at scans, diagnosing disease by looking at scans of vital organs, for example. And the more trained you are, the more scans you've ever seen in your life. So what BioMind does is applies AI pattern recognition to that. And what they did was challenge in this picture, some of the leading oncologists in the world who have probably 20 to 25 years experience of looking at scans of different patients, real scans, and they challenged the doctors against AI. So it was human mind versus machine. And they challenged them with real data. And interestingly, the doctors had 66% accuracy within 30 minutes AI had 87% accuracy within 15 minutes. And when we talk about AI and automation, we often feel it's going to be the lowest skilled people in the economy who are going to be hit hardest. But perhaps, as it's been mentioned here, they're the most agile. They're the ones who can find a job next Monday. Yet, if I'm a doctor with 20 years experience, and by the way, that could be any professional. I could be a lawyer who looks at case studies every day or an accountant who understands tax law, 20 years of doing this. And I'm thinking, wow, in 10 years, AI might be able to do my job more accurately and faster. And it doesn't go to sleep at night. Surely this must be one cause of anxiety for people in the economy today. And how do we address that? Do we say it's fine? It's not relevant now, not in the next 10 years? Or do we have to go to these people and say, you need to start thinking about the kind of skills that you need? Kevin, you must see this a lot. People who are highly skilled and now thinking about what's going to happen next. What do I do? I've got 20 years as a consultant oncologist. Do I need to reskill? Maybe I can just kind of wait it out until I retire. What's the challenge in no, I, I think this is the opportunity. I think people are missing one simple point. So the doctor gets 66% 30 minutes. The machine takes 87% 15 minutes. A highly skilled oncologist now who knows how to use this machine, together you're going to get something like 95% in five minutes. That's what's going to happen. And that's what should happen. Um, and, and I've thought about this quite a lot. And, and you realize one thing. Uh, yes, the, the machine sounds really good, but at the end of the day, it is a machine. It's a pattern recognition. It's not actually thinking. It's not actually interpreting. And we also also forget one other thing. There is a person using that machine. There's a person running the algorithms. There's a person feeding the, 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 uh, the scans. So my challenge, I, I think of this as an opportunity. This is, this is a new tool. As we've, and and medicine, uh, people in medicine know this. The, the medicine itself is a new tool, right? Even this is like penicillin. Prior to penicillin, everyone gets sick. They Fleming, Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin. And guess what? Now, you know, we, we, we have antibiotics. It's a tool. It's a tool to help you be a better doctor. And so what AI is, is a tool that helps us deliver better, uh, better healthcare. Now, the other thing that, is really interesting is this was people you know uh, wouldn't it be great that instead of the doctor in, in making a diagnosis had to read hundreds and hundreds and thousands of pages of research to make a diagnosis and with a machine it will spit out two cents i think we lost kevin there he may have dropped but we got the point there's actually if we can go to the next slide i think maybe the point he was making was 
about the coexistent point. This was a slide here, which came from NTUC Learning Hub, which I want to read out. It says, we have to learn how to coexist with automation. They can make certain aspects of our jobs easier, but they won't necessarily be able to replace certain core critical thinking skills. And that is the key here, isn't it? What are those core critical thinking skills? Uh, I, I would like to add on, on this part, if I may. Um, I think leadership skills, problem-solving skills, uh, it's, it's something that we need to work on, which automation will not be able to work on it. I mean, Kevin's example of uh, the doctors looking through the scans would tire them out, but there is this care factor about what the doctors uh, can do to their patients. Um, the diagnosis, the prescription, um, and, and we cannot ignore the part about giving them a peace of mind which human can do that robots can't. So today, if I'm going to see an oncology and I know I'm near my deathbed, I don't need a robot to talk to me, right? I need a robot to diagnose and then the doctor to tell me what's best and being able to answer that question uh, for me. So I think in 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 many organizations, you need to see that hybrid workforce of AI with human. Take HR, for example. Um, there is a lot of services that is now going online. You go online and you ask questions and Dr. Jim will talk to you. Dr. Robot, your AI robot will start talking to you. Dr. Jamie in MOM will talk to you. Um, and But you know how it is like because you still want to have someone talk to you and answer questions and the robot will tell you, I don't recognize this question. And still, you would need to have a customer service officer coming on the line. Um, so I, I think it's hybrid. We cannot not do with robot because Graham, you're right. They don't sleep, but we do. We need time to rest. And the robots can go on and on and on and on. Um, but there is also a brain behind that. I think the challenge is understanding where we fit into that is that what skills do we need to double down on and what skills maybe we shouldn't be focusing more on because maybe the robots will be able to do them better. And I guess this is a challenge that we need to kind of educate people on, right? Maybe if I can chime in on this, uh, I, I recall very vividly in the World Economic Forum, uh, you know, putting up a, a, a survey on the top 10 most uh, you know, in-demand skills, or should I say uh, the skills of the future. I think uh, they came out with what I call the CCNP, which is uh, creativity, critical thinking, and uh, uh, of course, three C's is complex problem solving. But I think in Singapore, we have the additional C, what I call communication. Um, particularly for our Asian economy, uh, I mean, the, the nature of how we communicate, I think that's, uh, I recall very vividly, you know, the labor movement uh, that did a, a very uh, detailed survey among more than a thousand uh, workers across various uh, segments, uh, across various part of the hierarchy and in different sectors. And this um, you know, this critical skill of communication has been coming out time after time and ranked top three all, almost in every sector and in every uh, level of the hierarchy. So I think that's one critical skill, particularly for, for, for Singapore and, you know, Singapore workers. And something we need to work on as well. I mean, that's why we have people like yourselves, the panel here, as opposed to robots, right? Well, currently... Oh, I... I got to throw another story in. Go on, Kevin. And, I, and this was inspired by Jamie's point about... Uh, you know, talking to a robot. Uh, there's a cafe in Japan where the, the, the servers are, are robots. The, the wait stuff is robots. And here's the beautiful thing. It, it's not actually a robot that, I mean, a robot is serving you, but there's a person controlling that robot and that person is actually at home and that person is a, is a handicapped person. Mm. 
And they and go it, through the screens to look at what's happening and then communicate that's with right. you. That's and, right. And if not, and if not for that robot, this this person uh, would not be uh, employed, included in society. <laughs> yeah, to be employed. Yes. And 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 uh, fascinating, fascinating ideas. It's such a simple application of AI, but it's such a human application. Yeah, love it. That's a great role model as well. I always have this slogan that I always, uh, you know, share to, uh, you know. Many in, in various platforms, I always say you know whatever that can be uh, mechanized, digitalized, and robotized will be mechanized, digitalized, and uh, you know robotized. So I think that's going to be the order of the day. Yeah, and everything else we got to double down on. We got to focus on the human aspects. You talked about the three C's, the four C's, right? Okay, conscious of the time. The last part here, we want to get the outlook from the panel, and I'll take some of the comments as well so if we can move to part three which is the post-covid workplace and what exactly is the post-covid workplace is it actually a place is it a hybrid there's been a lot written about the future we've seen all these different thought leaders come out with different publications as well on the next slide you can see a lot of people are writing about work everything from ai to New work to Satya Nadella, CEO of Microsoft, talking about different cultures, the fourth industrial revolution. Obviously, SIM have their own podcast, The Future of Work, and McKinsey, The Future of Asia, talking about what Asia looks like. Everybody is forecasting the future. So what is the actual mechanics of that look like for us? I'm just reading some of the chat as well coming through here i'd like the panel when we finish having a look at some of the comments to maybe chime in and help us understand what does the future workplace actually look like feel like how does it operate is work going to be a place or something that we do will we have physical offices how would that change what we need to do some great comments coming in by the way if you have comments put them in the chat um let me just read some of those out before we go into the next section great comment here from benjamin who says ai can be your new boss but it would not be a leader i like that one that comes back to the last point about the human values that is leadership and storytelling as well that those sort of human communication values that robots cannot do yet at least talking to chatbots can be frustrating. They're programmed for simple but no complex questions. And it's the complex problem solving we're talking about again. And a lot of coming up about data analytics, maybe we can sort of address that towards the end. The future office Singapore, what does it look like? We're all kind of trying to work it out. So maybe you can give us some clarity. Well, nobody really knows as well. Maybe you've got some ideas. Jamie, over to yourself because you're seeing it really in terms of at the individual level and you're seeing it in terms of the resourcing challenges facing businesses now before covid we were all talking about co-working and flexible working spaces then there was covid and now what actually uh we all all don't quite know that's the candid answer uh what i just my own two cents it would be hybrid and it depends on, on how fast we can get back to the physical office. And, and these are things that we don't know. Um, personally, I feel that if it's not long enough, it won't stick with us. So we have been telecommuting and a lot of us are working from home. And if this sticks long enough, 
then I'm quite certain that we will have a hybrid workforce. I think HR, a lot of senior HR officers are now looking at what are the roles within an organization that facilitates telecommuting and what are the roles that needs us to be in the office. And they are evaluating very seriously in all my conversations with them, what can stay and what can't stay. There are so many things that we need to brainstorm about then technology to enable our work processes. Do we need to go cloud? Do we not need to have cloud? Do we now outsource because we don't need it? Do we need to downsize our physical space, which means rental cost? Do we now need to even beef up our benefits so that um, you know employees that work from home have certain level of allowances because we need air condition and light and all that? It's taken changes in all shape and form. Do we exactly have the answer? I think we need to anticipate and be prepared uh, for it. Um, and it, it depends on phase two and phase three. And then it will be exciting to, to have that. Well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of mechanical questions, like structural questions to go in, like you're saying, the basic stuff like benefits and air conditioning, yes. and all these kind of things. You'd be surprised. Yeah, like these the, are conversations. the Exactly. Yes. That, that are occupying people, keeping people up at night as well. Patrick, I mean, imagine this is a lot of the anxiety that people are feeling now is because they don't have a physical workplace. That's right. I think I, I have, you know, three key observations or predictions or forecasts for the future of Singapore, um, you know, having have, have a lot of engagements and uh, looking at what many of the companies and businesses are embarking on, uh, I could I can say these three. Firstly, I think there's new safe management measures. I think will be here to stay. So, unfortunately, I don't think it's it's going to be the new normal. It's going to be the next normal. Uh, so, yeah. So, I think the safe management measures will stay. I don't think it will go off just like that. Uh, it will never be business as usual. Uh, I think we had to cope with that and uh, basically move to a very, you know, literally a low-touch economy. Um, so that's one uh, observation I see. Secondly, of course, you, you hear of the likes of uh, big companies, uh, the, the tech companies in America telling people to work from home for the rest of the year. Frankly, work from home is not something new. Uh, in fact, the labor movement has been uh, advocating flexible work arrangements, remote work arrangements to allow more people to be engaged in the workforce, to increase labor force participation rate. So I'm actually happy that, uh, well, this is a bit of a silver lining uh, due to the circuit breaker measures. Like a lot of companies start realizing that actually, my staff can actually work from home. So what, what made me hold back on flexibility and flexible work arrangements? So I think a lot of companies are reviewing uh, in terms of their uh, business uh, continuity processes uh, as, as well as uh, and plans. And of course, this whole idea of flexible work arrangements and remote. So I, I, I'm glad that this has caused a seismic shift in thinking and, uh, and shifted quite a bit of mental models. Uh, but it's also brought, like what JB alluded to, uh, there's going to be a serious relook by HR and human capital practitioners and, and on uh, compensation and benefits on work injury compensation, because now the new the workplace is no longer in the office, but at home. So, so I think the whole, uh, you know, the whole ecosystem is going to be rejected and, and there's a serious uh, bit of a review. But the third part, which I wanted to, to, to really just expound on is um, what I'm seeing. Um, so there's sometimes, a, a, what I say, a disconnect or mismatch. Some companies, SMEs, may be you know, really full embracing uh, of tech and digital and digitalization and digitization. But however, they did, little they realized when they, when there was a circuit breaker, um, many of them have had problems. Because uh, lo and behold, many of their staff 
uh, are not trained to handle or don't even have a laptop at home. And uh, there was suddenly a, a surge in laptop sales and purchases and uh, we couldn't get an airbook, we couldn't get iPads, we couldn't get... Uh, so there was a massive rush for all these devices and, and even myself uh, in, in the two months of Circuit Breaker had to pivot. Uh, as I was sharing in some of the sessions and my colleagues as well, I, was, I never used such so much virtual conferencing and, and uh, you know, be, I didn't even know about Zoom existing. And, uh, you know, webinar, uh, WebEx, you have uh, MS Teams, you have uh, Big Marker, name it, you know. I've never used so much of uh, this virtual conferencing softwares and having to equip myself and even my, my, my room with all these devices uh, for the last 25 years of my working career. So, uh, so it's really a seismic uh, shift in, you know, thinking and, uh, and therefore to, to the last part, the third observation is to, to minimize this uh, uh, disconnect in terms of your, you know, the company can have big and beautiful plans, you know, on digitalization, but at the end of the day, you are only as strong as the weakest link. So every worker on the ground, every employee must be up to speed, so to speak, uh, if not even ahead of the curve. Fantastic. Go on, Jamie. Yeah, so, so back to the point that I, I feel very strongly about because having talked to so many individuals, I, I think the fundamental core is still that paradigm shift of ourselves. If every one of us do our part, I think there is hope to catch up. Um, you see, the company, we always looked out to, oh, my boss, my company, my management, but, but, but they are all a mess of individuals. And, and we need to, again, uh, stress the importance of working uh, and collaborating. This will be the next norm. I think uh, I'm just going to be very candid to say that sometimes in organizations, people withhold what they know, withhold knowledge, withhold uh, and have a lot of reservations and uh, conversations are not as open and as genuine. I think moving forward with, with what we're going to face is you see the mindset shift in recognizing that there's not so much time to build everything on your own. There's just not so much time to learn everything on your own. And, and by the time you build and by the time you learn, a new change happens. And, and so what do we do as a workforce is we really need to understand and, and gather the strength of one another, break down that wall and be, be, be more risk-taking and, and be open in communication and to see the strength of each other and foster that collaboration. The digital banking is a very, very exciting um, I call it a revolution. I'm so happy about this because you will never see a, a, a Sing Xiong with Razor in the marketplace, for example. But you look at the consortium that comes together. They are all different nature of businesses. They come together with their strength and they bid for it. And, and this has to be the way to go. If it's not organizations, then start looking at the neighbor that you used to think that maybe the, the guy is a threat or blah, 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 and start thinking that, okay, how, how do we sharpen each other's sword so that all of us stays in a community and contribute so that the company does well? And when the company does well, then retrenchment won't happen. Yeah, great point. These are mindset shifts, aren't they? Which it is a mindset long, shift. It's a long journey, but it's step by step. Very and we have to start. We've got to start. I mean, you're starting now. This right is now. Exactly. <laughs> we love it. And this is why we're having this webinar. And I'm very conscious of the time. I'm going to just offer a few more slides. Then we're going to talk about how you can get the PDF. And Dr. Kevin, I'm going to give you the last word as well to tell us about the future, because this is your job, really helping us understand what the future is like. So just few admin slides before we let Dr. Kevin wrap up for us. So we talked about the future office in Singapore, some really interesting points 
lots of guidance there and really challenges for us. We've done the Q&A. Thank you very much for all your comments today, folks. I'm um, going to give you the details of all of the panelists today. There's a slide here where you can... Maybe you can ping them on LinkedIn and say, hey, guys, I love the webinar. Here's my thoughts, some questions that I have. They're all on LinkedIn. Here are their details so you can go and connect with them. Um, you can furiously scribble that down very quickly, or you can ask for the PDF at the end of this, and we'll give you all the details. Here are the contact details coming up. NTUC and SIM in the other order. Here's how you can get the PDF. If you grab a copy, you can take a photo of this now. If you know the NTUC people, email Karen. If you know Joan at SIM and the SIM team, then email Joan. Just ask for the PDF. Tell them what you thought about the webinar as well. Thank you so much. Dr. Kevin, over to you. Last but not least, we've talked a lot about futuristic trends. We've talked about the here and now. There's a lot of anxiety out there. You know, we're talking about mindset shifts. We've talked about additive skilling. We talked about reskilling, upskilling, uptooling. We've gone around the houses and obviously now we're talking about the future of the Singapore office. Lots of predictions. You've probably heard a lot before. How would you summarize the conversation today? I know it's a big ask, but... I'll say the future is going to be same, same, but different. Uh, and it's going to be a wide range of possibilities. It'll be unprecedented number of possibilities. But I'm going to shift the... I'm going to part with one thing. Let's When we talk about work from home and new offices, new work flexibility, blah, 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 is all new possibilities. I'm going to urge the leaders, uh, the decision makers to ask why. Why work from home? What's the purpose? If you're getting your employees to work from home because you can reduce the overheads on your, on your rent, you're in trouble. I guarantee you it. You're going to, right? I guarantee you 100%. And you've heard me say this here. If you, if you stop renting office space simply because you want to cut costs, you will fail, right? You need to understand why you're working from home, what's the purpose, how does it improve your, your effectiveness as an organization, as a team, right? There are a lot of benefits, but you really need to understand why you do what you do. It's really back to basic old school business system. Know your why, solve the right problem, and don't do things just to, to cut costs. And you need to deliver value to, to the market, and, and that's how you survive and thrive. There you go. The challenge is out there, folks. Dr. Kevin Young, thank you very much from SIM. Jamie Lim from People Search, thank you very much for your contributions today. And Patrick Tay from NTUC. I know you are all busy people and all these challenges are keeping you up at night as we've established at the top of the hour. But thank you so much for coming here and sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you for everybody in the audience as well for being so engaging and offering your comments and your chat. We'll share everything with the panelists afterwards. If you've missed any of the chat comments and if you want to connect with the panelists, you know how to do that. Just go to them and ping them on LinkedIn. My name's Graham Brown. Thank you for your hour of time and attention with us today. It was a very enjoyable conversation. Thank you to the panelists. Onwards and upwards, folks, it starts here. We'll see you at a future webinar, whether it's at SIM talking about some of the challenges that we're facing or maybe another one like this who knows all the best folks enjoy your day bye thank you thank you everyone have a good day